Hey, Gestalt Education Nation, uh, new sponsor alert, new sponsor alert. Today, we're excited to announce uh, Dynamic Disc Designs and Jerome Fryer. Uh, we have an awesome discount code for you. Just use the code Gestalt uh, to get a little bit of money off on the, the Dynamic Disc Designs. They're the, the most realistic anatomical discs that we've ever seen. If you caught our, our episode with uh, Dr. Stuart McGill, you saw an entire shelf full of them. Everything from cavitation instruction to uh, uh, disc dysfunction to SI joint dysfunction, all sorts of amazing joint stuff. Joint movement, yes. vertebral movement. Absolutely. So uh, go to Dynamic Disc Designs, uh, use the code Gestalt. As always, you can use the code Gestalt on Core 360 belt to get a, a little discount on the belts there. We love to use that for biofeedback for teaching respiration, intra-abdominal pressure, and how the, the abdominal wall should be working in, during function. Uh, and then the last one, use the code Gestalt Education 10. Those will all be in the description in the podcast. Gestalt Education 10 at humanlocomotion.com uh, to get off uh, some money off of all of his awesome gadgets and tools and uh, rehab uh, materials. What's your favorite, Brett? He's got a trunk full, but I think, you know, integrating the Topro in, I think, has been a game changer for us here at the office. So I think that would be my pick. Beautiful. All right, guys, don't forget, use the code Gestalt, Gestalt Education 10. Uh, visit the show notes and you'll be uh, hooked up. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, we are back on home turf for another little solo episode, Brett. So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, a topic that I've been hearing you speak for pretty consistently, I don't know, seven years now, but it's been a recurring theme in your uh, in your lectures, in your seminars, and things like that. And that, that's this idea of uh, a conceptual, almost like a philosophical question of when are your patients done? Like, when are they actually done treatment? But before we get into that, I, I just want to make a, a little uh, plug here uh, for the first annual Neurodynamics World Congress. I know we've been plugging it for a while. Uh, don't forget to uh, to sign up, please. If you go to Gestalt Education or GestaltEDU.com backslash courses, there's a banner for it and uh, it's got all the information. It's uh, November 3rd through the 5th. This includes everyone from Michael Shacklock to uh, Dr. Leahy, uh, Michael Leahy, uh, Antonio Stecco, Brett Winchester, Annie O'Connor, Jeff Bove, David Seaman, uh, and of course, Michael Shacklock. Uh, but this is a weekend that it's going to include hands-on, it's going to include lectures, it's going to include like your... your and Bill Morgan. And Bill Morgan, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, your first kind of, uh, I don't know, our, our first dive into real integration, Brett, and it's going to include manipulation as well, mm -hmm. and it's going to be us talking about how we actually mix and match these together, with the theme being neurodynamics as kind of like the center core. I think, you know, just to hear, you know, there's just never Antonio Stucco hasn't been with Michael Leahy. I'm excited for those two to, you know, be together. And then also uh, Michael Shacklock and Michael Leahy have never been together. So I think it's kind of they're looking at nerve entrapment from two uh, different ends of the the spectrum. I think like heaven, that's going to be, it's going to be insane. It's yeah. going to be really awesome. So uh, make sure you check that out. We'd love to see you uh, the first weekend in November at Parker University. Uh, and then I also, we have just updated our courses for, for next year. We pretty much have our 2024 scheduled together, which is pretty early for us, Brett. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty, yeah, you know, bad. patting your back there. Two, two. Um, every year we, we bring A, B, and C, DNS, A, B, and C through uh, Troy with you, Brett, and then uh, Rich usually helps us out at the end with the C course. And then this year, we're super excited to have the DNS Peds route. So DNS Pediatrics 1 with uh, Marcella, and then DNS Pediatrics 2 with Martina, uh, the, the first one in uh, February and then the second one in October. And so these are probably the two best uh, practitioners when it comes to not only understanding pediatric conditions, but the treatment of those and how to apply DNS to the pediatric population. Yeah, no, that's... 
For sure. Uh, yeah. The, the cool thing too, we always talk about with Marcella, nobody probably understands scoliosis better in the world than uh, Marcella, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to conservative care of scoliosis. And so that's going to be a deep dive that weekend and it'll be super awesome. So uh, anyway, that's our plug. Uh, we're bringing out uh, taping. So my, my big mentor, Greg Dorr, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably uh, listened to our episode with Dr. Greg Dorr. Uh, so that's going to be functional taping for musculoskeletal injuries. This is a, a course I'm super excited for, one of my top fives. And and uh, it's going to be basically all-encompassing. You're going to learn how to, to use kinesiology tape. You're going to learn how to use strapping tape, uh, understand sideline care when it comes to kinesiology taping, but also just wide athletic tape or athletic taping. And so uh, it's going to be really, really awesome. And then that gets combined in with some awesome rehab and uh, some other things like that. So uh, we're super excited for those courses. We'd love to hear you to come check out Troy and uh, Winchester Spine and Sport. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you there. So anyway, let's go back to our topic, Brett. So uh, this philosophical question that I've heard you bring up quite a bit. And usually you kind of leave it open-ended and then we kind of dive into it throughout the weekend, whether that's an MPI seminar or a DNS seminar, you know, it's a lecture on low back pain, but can you mainly just, I don't know, give us some inspiration on, on, uh, where you're at with this, this, what's, what's your answer to this philosophical question of when is your patient actually done with care? Well, I think, you know, this is something that, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, and whether you're young or old, this is a struggle that everybody has of knowing, you know, when you actually release a patient. And uh, I think most people who are listening to this, they're definitely on the functionalist camp. They're not usually pain chasers and things like that. Uh, But in saying that, I mean, chiropractic is very, very good at changing pain also. I mean, like for the chiropractors out there that are, you know, we kind of call them one and done where you're, you're more like the aspirin, but you're, you're a huge gift to humanity because you're able to help people without, you know, drugs and surgery, things like that. So, I mean, it's definitely not a knock on that. I just think that, you know, the, the important question to ask yourself is what are you dealing with today? Are we dealing with the Ferrari or are we dealing with the Ford Escort? And I think, you know, you can't treat 35 patients in your day like a Ferrari. You just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that, nor do you need to do that. So I think like having enough tact to walk in the treatment room and understand what that patient needs from you today and really kind of almost have a minimalist dosage approach, which is what's the minimal amount that you can do to have the greatest effect throughout their their kinetic chain or their, their closed kinematic system. And in, in saying all that, uh, you know, if we, you know, in DNS or if we're talking about soft tissues, if we're talking about manipulation, I really use the analogy of the normal developing child, which was originally definitely a DNS thought. So, you know, if we're comparing our patient that we're seeing today uh, to the normal developing baby, what do the joints, how do the joints uh, spring or play? How are the soft tissues? Is there tension tone in the soft tissues? Um, you know, how's the muscle length? So you always have something that you can compare it to. So in that first year life, everything, if physiologically developing in the way that we want, uh, the muscles are all being uh, picked in the most perfect synergistic way. So we don't have any of those entities that we're so used to seeing to our, our earth dwellers as they move along in their, in their life. So we don't have trigger points and muscles. We don't have tension tone. We don't have joint blockage. So then that, that in itself gives you a beautiful audit to come back to, to see, uh, you know, even after a visit or two, we, we're not expecting them to be perfect, but what we're expecting is to be trending in the right direction, right? So what, what that means is if you're cutting a patient loose today that let's just say they're 100% out of pain, 
Uh, are we saying that there's no trigger points? There's no tension. There's no tone. There's no joint blockage. Of course not. And of course, this is all on a continuum. And this is about like, what do we need to do? If you're working with, for example, a professional team or a professional athlete or like a, a collegiate athlete, or you're just working with somebody who wants to be a Ferrari, you have the chance or the ability or you're lucky enough to literally give them Ferrari-like care where you are paying attention to all of these things. And you have tools to be able to, to literally help them with all of these things. And you know, your post-treatment audit will show this. And then also the next time that we see them will also expose how well you've done the previous time or maybe how well they've done on some of the things that we're doing through through home exercise. But I think this is probably the patient that we all went to school for, the one that you are able to just absolutely take their care to a level that it, that is so high. And then we're, we're basically, our goal is returning them back to the state of the body in that first year of life. And that's a really exciting feeling, I think, for especially for a young clinician to see that you and I can make an intervention or we can make a change to where like you are you are changing all these things because once a joint is not being stabilized in the most ideal way then you know what ends up manifesting is tension tone trigger points and eventually joint blockage so what we're seeing all day long is basically the central nervous system way of creating protective patterns so the downside of that though especially if we're dealing with our athletes is a decrease in range of motion so if we're talking about a hip joint for example that's not being stabilized the way that we want so we're going to find trigger points adductors, hip flexors, external rotators, internal rotators, uh, adductors, the, the whole bit. So that is going to allow you to still get from point A to point B. But the central nervous system is so amazing through adaption and compensation that we are now limiting range of motion, which is what you'd actually want to have happen if we're not stabilizing a joint in the right way, but all at a consequence of joint range of motion. So the hallmark of good athleticism is, of course, full range of motion. So if all the muscles around a particular joint have trigger points, tension, and tone, then we're we're limiting the range of motion, although we're giving the body a chance to still be able to survive. It's very like a primal thought. Like it's very adaptive, very amazing that the human body is able to do that. Yeah, so. that's right. Well, you bring up a good point of adaptation. You know, this is another kind of hallmark of what we've talked about a ton on this podcast and over. Just because you can adapt doesn't mean you should. Right. You know, and, and that's no different than one of their athletes. I mean, you could let an athlete, we're watching hockey today, you know, with, with big old trigger points that are adductors because that's what they use all day long. But it, uh, like nobody would say that they're better off for having those. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. So, and, and again, like, so I think it's really important that we expose like what this actually means. So somebody could come in and they have a pain syndrome. Well, I could give you 40 jumping jacks and you could come back tomorrow and say, well, I feel better. And so, you know, there, there's, and I get that. I mean, that there are certain patients where we actually, that is a good approach, especially like in a chronic pain camp and things mm -hmm. like that, which you know, we, we all know that another That's, discussion. Yeah. yeah. We got to be careful though, that we don't treat the 5%. We don't treat the 95% like the 5%. So, uh, and I think that the one thing that I'm always amazed at every day in my life is the ability of the human body to adapt and compensate for things that aren't well, not just in the musculoskeletal system, but also like in the functional medicine world. Mm -hmm. So like the body, it's a testament to the human body to be able to do that. But that doesn't mean that we are necessarily wanting it to do that. I mean, the analogy that, you know, I always give is, you know, if you've ever been undergrad and you 
you've you know you've gotten used to on a football Saturday of having twelve beers or fifteen beers. Most people, as they move along in their life, they couldn't they couldn't continue to do that on you know like continue to do that. So just because just because you can do that doesn't mean that's what we're wanting the body to do. Sometimes like in, in, you know, usually it is that chronic pain patient where we just need them to move their body. We're going to give them a general movement strategy. They're going to do great. So just cause you're in that camp doesn't mean that we're not telling them not to exercise and do right, things. So right. of course we are. So we want everybody moving their body, but I just think for the people that are out there working with people. And I mean, a lot of people are in this group. You have the tools to create absolute, you know, Ferraris out there with, with the tools that are, that are out there. And I, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. So that you brought up a point on, on dosage too, Brett, what's, what does dosage look like for those two different camps? Like when you have a Ferrari yeah. in front of you, like what is a realistic expectation for making a change, uh, and, and for those body to be a Ferrari versus someone that's a Ford Escort, you know, your 50 year old middle-aged man that is just laying bricks all day. Like, you know, what, what are those two dosages look like when it comes to treatment for you? Well, I mean, let's just take the 50 year old guy who's, you know, you know, he's out working, he's, you know, hurt his back, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I mean, we all have that case where we give them, you know, 10 press ups and, you know, they're miraculously better. So, that is in its own camp. And let's just say that same patient is, you know, they go home at night, they smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. They're drinking a 12 pack of beer. Uh, sounds nice. <laughs> so that case, you know, they don't necessarily need to be a Ferrari. They just need the right thing at the right time. And then, and I mean, the one thing Mark King always taught us was that, you know, make it easy for them to come, make it easy for them to go, you know? So like, that's a different patient profile than, you know, if you're working with a, a college or a team or, a, you know, an athlete where we are basically wanting to change function of their body. So to me, I mean, you're going to need, you're going to need twice a week for three weeks minimally to really start to change some of those audits that we're talking about, which is, it could be joint range of motion. It could be a functional test. It could be uh, tone and uh, tension and trigger points, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that, that is going to take you a little bit longer to be able to do that. And, um, but I mean, that, so it's about knowing what that patient wants from you. And the, the fascinating thing for me is it's amazing. Like as I move along in my career, like if you say the right things, how many of your patients actually are wanting what we're talking about without even realizing it. And that all gets done in a really good trial of care. So that's usually for us here at our office, that's three weeks of a couple times a week for three weeks. And then we say, we'll reevaluate you. Mm -hmm. And then we decide what the next steps are going to be. And at that three-week mark is a really nice time to start really kind of coming back, letting the patient know. So there's two sides of this. There's the subjective pain experience, and then there's the functional piece of this. We're really concerned with the functional piece. And when the patients understand this functional piece, I'm telling you, it's like an epiphany moment in your career because really then they're not running you around. Really, I mean, if your patient didn't have a mouth, that's okay. Like we can still work with them and we can, you know, we can just start working with their body and changing these things. And that is, that is one of the miracles of, of what we do and one of the gifts. And, uh, I think if the patients understand that 
it, it is such a liberating feeling for you because it really doesn't matter. It really takes a lot of the pressure off because all you really, at the end of the day, can do, if we're just talking about the musculoskeletal piece, we get joints moving that are uh, stiff and the plane of motion that they're stiff in. Uh, if the joints are hypermobile, obviously, we're going to stabilize them. We're gonna, we have tools to work on tension tone and trigger points. We also have tools to work on how the central nervous system is able to utilize the muscles correctly around these different joints. And if, I mean, that sums it up right there. Like if you don't know where to start with your patient tomorrow, start there. And, and then you have like what we call in the continuum of these, uh, these patients you have on one side, which we've talked about this, uh, before in a podcast where you have a chiropractic or a physical therapy miracle where you do, I don't know, you do 10 press-ups, you do something and you literally create a miracle. And then you have on the other end of the continuum, you have an orthopedic intervention like surgery or something like that. And then in between, you have a black hole. Chiropractors and physical therapists do a horrible job of managing people in this black hole because really what we need to be doing is we need to be educating them on changing function. And like I said, this this unfortunately takes a little bit of time to do this well. And patients are actually really kind of used to this. You don't walk into the orthodontist today, get braces on your teeth, and then show up tomorrow and be like, you know what, like, uh, get the braces off. I think my teeth are straight. Right. No, it's like a two-hour, or two-hour, it's a two-year process of a lot of pain, anguish, rubber bands, mm-hmm. headgears, right. to get things the way, to functioning the way that we want. And, uh, or like, like I sometimes I'll use working out as an example. You don't go to the gym one time and you know. So, anyways, those people are not being managed well. And then, like, let's just say you do the one and done and they relapse. So, and, and I mean, this will happen to the one and doneers. I know because I started my career a one and doneer. Okay. Like I spent a, a you know year a couple of years definitely thinking that I was gonna fix everyone in one visit. And and then I finally wisened up. And but you have to have the skill, Taylor, to be able to confront people on function, mm-hmm. which means you have to be bought into it. If you're not bought into it, there's no way you're gonna be able to sell it. And if you do it well, you're never selling anything. In fact, it's the most natural or organic thing you don't even have to you don't have to sell it like they want it because you you've been given one body you know like to me it's like i mean are you kidding me like what's more important than having your body function in a good way a majority of modern uh, americans they actually will treat their car better than they'll treat their body so which is okay but we're there to kind of just point out the obvious to them or confront them on this topic and then if you if you put it the right way it's like yeah, there, there's a benefit to seeing you, I don't know, once a month, once a quarter, whatever whatever it might be. You should not be ashamed of that. I'm telling you, if you listen to Andreas Eklund's research on maintenance care or in others actually now, like you will clearly see we're costing the healthcare system less money on a maintenance program. Uh, and the patients are very satisfied with that care. Are you going to have that, you know, that less than 1% that's not going to buy it? Yeah, you are. But I would argue that you probably, they're not great patients for us anyways, you know? And uh, in any ways, even like challenge yourself, like get that 1% turned into the other camp and, Mm -hmm. um, or like, you know, if you've done a good job of changing pain and function, then we can let them go. Like, I mean, you know, they don't have to be like getting their mail at your office by any means. But I think that, um, you know, like people act like they're going to get addicted to your care or your hands. And I would just like kind of politely point out that if, 
you know, it's not like people here are like, oh my God, Taylor, like I'm just addicted to your hands. Right. It's like, no, you're like helping them. Just like you go to the barber to get a haircut. Could I cut my own hair? Yeah, I could cut my own hair. But um, but I mean you you know, you're you have these people that are you're getting advice from in your life. So they're basically helping you. And you should not be ashamed of that, in my opinion. Sure. And uh and I think even like you you'll you'll hear the evidence based group people, one being a Shirley Sarman, another being a great cook. Um, saying things like, you know, you should have a checkup just like you do like with your cardiologist or, or whoever it might be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's a good point too, of like, uh, having that conversation, I guess, because if they are a Ford escort and they just want to be out of pain after you've changed those functions, maybe how do you, um, how do you approach that, that patient of the next thing we kind of talk about it's mm-hmm. it, usually it's organic, like, right. Hey, you know what, like you do a physical labor job, you, it'd be worthwhile for you to see me once a month, but, uh, then maybe, uh, can you talk about that first? And then what about on the athlete? Like, let's say we have an athlete in season, uh, post ankle sprain, you know, Mm -hmm. function is restored, they're balanced, their return to sport is perfect. What do you say to the parent, uh, in that situation of like, Hey, this is kind of how often I should see them in season and things like that. I'm a really big fan of being a chameleon and trying to meet people where they are. I mean, you can take like a harder stance and you can be like, you know, when you're ready to do exactly what I want you to do, then you come back and see me and, you know, but I feel like I'm better off just meeting them where they are, kind of giving them a little bit what they want in the front end. And then I always have a hidden agenda. Like I'm always like in the back of my mind thinking, well, not today's not the right day, right. but like I am going to convert this patient. I'm going to make them lose a hundred pounds at some point. Uh, and that doesn't always happen, but that's kind of my mindset. And one thing, once I started believing in that, I really, people will do what you tell them. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that like, they'll listen to you, especially when you, you know, you've been at it long enough and they actually respect what you're saying. So well, I think it comes down to confrontation. You just kind of talked about it a little bit ago, just confronting yeah. it. Like, Hey, like this is what you do. You've had these flare-ups in the past. Like this is a great option for you to hopefully as like an insurance policy almost to, you don't want to use it, yeah. but uh, you know, you're not better off for not coming to see me. Basically. Because if, if you under treat, they're going to hurt your batting average, mm-hmm. which means like if you don't manage the case well, and then they, they go off and then they'll tell everyone, well, you know, Taylor wasn't able to help me when actually you could have helped them. You just needed more treatment. I mean, that's my legendary story of being in Troy, Missouri. And, and you now feel it too, where we see all our patients everywhere. So like, you know, if somebody's doing something outside of what you've told them to do, you're going to hear about it. Like, and, uh, so, I mean, and that's how I got on a functional path. I had a couple horrible moments where I saw my patients in Walmart or Walgreens and, uh, went up to, you know, receive the compliment. And instead of them giving me a compliment, they're like, yeah, I ended up doing something else. And that happens a couple of times and that will shake you. But like, if you're in downtown Manhattan, you don't see your patients, right. you know, like, so, or like the orthopedist, a lot of times they don't see their failures because the patients don't come back to them, you know? So to answer your question though, like the athlete, like, let's just say that you came to us with a shoulder problem and we recommend all our throwing athletes see us once a month in season. Mm-hmm. And that's when they're a hundred percent pain-free because there's so much that we can be doing. We're like the ultimate insurance policy for them. So, uh, or like if you're a marathon runner, well, of course, if you're, you know, we had a bunch of people that were training for the last. Iron Man. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you're here every two weeks, just right. you know. And I don't love the term maintenance for what it's mm-hmm. worth. Like I, I feel like, but that is a term that resonates with the profession, and people kind of know what we mean by that. But um, yeah, I don't I, know if I've ever heard you say maintenance to a patient. Now that I'm thinking of it, I don't think I have either. It's just kind of like. Uh, 
I, I don't know, like a checkup, I guess, or I, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I, I never I don't say, know I don't know what I say. Or, yeah. You know what Kevin Christie uses <laughs> is performance care, which I don't, I, I, I like that. I like that better than maintenance care, but I don't even like, I just, at the end of the day, I believe people should be seeing us. So like, that's just what I believe. And I almost get offended when people don't want to do it. <laughs> I mean, as weird as that sounds, because I just feel like we're such a bargain for, sure. for what we're doing yeah. that like, wh why would you not? You know, like, so, um, and again, I just want to reiterate though, like in the end, even if you're like on a, you're still costing the healthcare system less. I want to make that point because sure. like yeah. people think, well, that's a bleed on healthcare. No, it's not. No. It's it's showing that it's actually saving uh, healthcare like yeah. cost, and then also because we're such good gatekeepers, I think it was 2013. Um, I'm pretty sure the author is Webster, where they basically found that you know depending on who you saw initially, yeah. it was basically like a thirteen thousand dollar difference in yeah because like if if the patient shows up at their primary care, then you have all these down down the road costs epidurals. X-rays, uh, MRIs, X-rays, PT imaging, the whole deal. So, like, we're actually a huge bargain. The other thing, we are actually there to be working on other things that are potentially popping up in their health. That's right. You know, like a lot of us. I mean, I'm a huge functional medicine provider, so like, I'm you know, I'm listening to other side of their of their case also. You know, like so. I don't know. Maybe I'm a homer for the profession, but I just feel like like we we have a skill and we are especially the evidence based group, which we all are. We think we're just aspirin. We're only working until they're out of pain where I mean, we have so much. If the patient comes to you, a even if you're a 100 uh, percent McKinsoid. Like if, even if the patient did not have a complaint, even in the MDT model through range of motion assessment, you still have a million things you could do with that patient today. Absolutely. Yeah. We had an episode early on called silent derangement mm -hmm. and that's the same thing. Like yeah. if you're just like, but, but also that requires you to pay attention. What I think is another big theme of this podcast is paying attention to the things in your patients. If you're not paying attention to their uh, left foot dorsiflexion when they have a low back complaint, how would you ever know that that is restricted? Or how would you ever know that that's not a, a, a concern for them yeah. going forward? No, that's... Uh, and I can't... Go. And like, how many times do, do you, you know, you start working on something like their, whatever, their left ankle or something like that? They're like, oh, I... I I, I kind of forgot to tell you, I actually, I hurt my ankle five years ago or something like that. Like, how did you know that? You know, you're almost like a whisper and it's not that you're being, doing anything crazy. You're just like paying attention to things throughout the body that could become problems. Yeah. Or like you see a 75 year old patient today that's never been to a chiropractor or physical therapist. They have spinal stenosis. They have the stiffest thoracic spine you've ever felt. Um, do you think one, if you go for broke today on them, you're going to break their rib. I mean, like if you go for manipulation in that, that really stiff area. So instead, what do we do? We, we, you know, slowly, but surely through home exercise and good treatment, we start mobilizing that area. Okay. Now three weeks later, now we're actually starting to release those joints in that area. Mm -hmm. Now, when we go to joint play it a month later, now we're starting to establish good joint play. Do you think that patient's doing better in a month? Hell yeah, they yeah, are. Right, yeah. Right. So I, that's what we're saying. Like, and again, just compare what you're about to see tomorrow 
to the normal developing baby. And then you know what ideal is and you know what you're shooting for. Am I going to get that 80-year-old stenotic back to that? No. But that's the mind fuck that I'm actually working in in my brain is I'm actually thinking about actually doing that, you know? So, and when when you do that, it 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 kind of gives you a pathway of what you need to be working on if you, if you do get a little bit lost in the case. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, uh, like, the more we talk about this too, and I mean, uh, just just... Uh, getting rid of the the bad, I don't know what you want to call it, like stigma. stigma yeah. Oh, you kept me coming back. Yeah, like treatment it, plans yeah. and maintenance care. I mean, like yeah. at the end of the day, like treatment plans are what forces you to to be there, to be the hero. The, the story I tell, and I've told on other podcasts, is early on, you know, we shared a wall, and I, I was not giving myself a chance to be the hero in the case. I was going to imaging rather quickly, wasn't giving myself those, you know, three weeks to to be the hero, to let the functional changes get around, let the symptoms calm down, let the, you know, like be the hero yeah. in that case. Oh, because yeah. if we just take a regular route of low back pain, if they do nothing in six weeks, the majority of the time people are going to be fine, right? Yeah. We want to shortcut that. We want to make functional changes so hopefully it doesn't come back around. But if you're if you're not giving yourself the chance to be there to be the hero, then you're you're missing out. Your reputation sucks then. Uh, your chances of referral aren't very good. Like all these things kind of add up to, to it. Well, I think too, like there are other reason, like, cause you know me, I'm, I'm a skeptic on everything. Mm-hmm. So like if, you know, if you, the research will tell us like in average, you know, low back pain, if you do nothing, you'll be better in three weeks. If you have massage therapy, you'll be better in three weeks. If you do MDT, you'll be better in three weeks. If you do general movement, you'll be better in three weeks. If you do manipulation, my point is this. So So what are we doing, right? So instead, that's why I think also you take the pain out of the equation. And what we're doing is, because again, the body will adapt. So like, although you're not in pain in three weeks, I would argue that you're not okay a lot of times. Like you're a functional landmine that's about to relapse, you know? So like, that is why you need to be bought into this model. Because if you're just playing the pain game, and the story we always tell is Laura Marr Mosley's story about you know, if a shark takes off your leg, then basically you feel no pain for a couple hours. If I paper cut your finger right now, it'll drive you nuts for the next couple hours. So we need to be very, very careful about walking in a treatment room and having our only assessment be, well, you know, how are you feeling today? Because pain is such a unique subjective experience that is unique to every single person on the earth. So what's going to determine how you answer that question will be, well, did you have an argument with your spouse this morning? Are your kids pissing you off? How far behind are you? Did you sleep last night? Do you have two autoimmune diseases? Uh, Have you unfortunately been abused previously in your life? All these things can weigh into how you're going to basically assess how your pain is today. If we start with a really, really open-ended question, like, how are you doing today? Right? So what we do, and I I really like this for what it's worth for everybody to just to kind of try and see how you like it, which is instead we walk into the treatment room and of course we, we, you know, we engage them. Of Mm -hmm. course we don't over, uh, uh, over assess or, you know, ask them too much about their pain in that moment. Subjective. Uh, we go right to the biomechanics. So what was the main finding that you found? Was it a stiff thoracic spine? Was it a trigger point and the infraspinase, whatever the major finding was or couple findings, we go right to that to assess. The next thing is our next line of questioning would be activity and tolerances. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your spinal synodic. You said the first day that we met that when you get to the mailbox, both your legs are starting to go numb. Okay. So you know, have you been able to walk a little bit further? I wouldn't expect you to be 100% better at that in that difficult stenosis case. The third line of question would be, this is after you've done the other two. Uh, 
overall, what is your, how would you describe the status of your case? This is exactly how I word it. Do you think you're better, the same or worse? And what I've done there with the patient, what we've done is we've prioritized what we're looking for. And to them, what it tells us, and it's very liberating for you and I, is that he's he or she is here to change the function of our case. If we do a really good job of changing function, function and pain will move along in parallel axes like this until they don't. And when they don't, that means that you're either you're dealing with chronic pain or you're dealing with some kind of, sub, uh, not subjective, structural problem. So back to the hip case, you have a big old gaping labral tear. Well, sometimes no matter how good you are in treatment, like you're not going to get around that. So what, how do we know if they need surgery? Well, we give them a world-class trial of care, hopefully. And then in four weeks, if everything's exactly the same, then we know that they might, you know, they might be headed off to surgery. But again, this is why this is so important. We know that the severity of image findings to say that it doesn't matter. We'd be foolish to say that Mm -hmm. it does matter, but really what really matters is how good is the trial of care to see as we start to, you know, improve the function. Do we actually need a surgery? James Andrews, what does he say? He's like, if you want an excuse to operate on a major league baseball throwing shoulder, get an MRI because you're going to find something. So like the image findings are part of the story, but if you're looking at a pie chart, that's 20%. The 80% is how do they respond when we start to normalize the function around around that area? It's true. Yeah. And that's across the, the whole body and all patient types, honestly. I mean, that's the nice thing is if you just stick to that kind of like way of thinking, like it's, it's actually never pretty easy. It honestly. is. Yeah. It's never going to let you down because yeah. then it's easy to confront them. Like, yeah, it's three, it's two and a half weeks. You're the same. Like something is not right here. Either you need to make a different decision or you need imaging, you need labs, you need something along those lines. And frankly, the, I think one of my big gold medals is just honesty. Like I have just, I am just very honest. Yeah, you are very honest. Like, yeah. I'm just like, Hey, I'm not helping you right now. Like, I don't like something is not going right. And the patient's just like, yeah, I, well, you know, I'm a little bit, no, 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 no. Like you are the same. Like something has to change. Like either I've missed something. And so today I'm going to just go through and reassess everything at the end. If I still come up with the same conclusions, we're going to do something different. You know, like that's going to be our way of, of knowing whether or not we're doing the right thing. And patients love that. They're like, oh shit. Okay. Like he actually is paying attention to these right. things, you know, like, uh, but, but it also distracts from the symptoms. Like I know that your symptoms are the same. Like we always joke. Yeah. I'm going to walk in. They're dying to tell you, yeah. you know, or I walk in and I already know like, oh, let me guess. Yeah. They're the same. But the reason I know that you're the same is because the same things keep coming up the same. So then that takes us down the next path of what, what the next intervention is. But also too, to that point, like if you can really buy into your auditing system and everyone's going to have their own audits, but let's just throw out joint play trigger points for us. It would be like DNS assessment. Um, tension tone, just joint range of motion, very powerful. Neurologic testing, uh, neurodynamics, <laughs> neurodynamics, deep tendon reflex, the whole deal. So if you're that's your playbook right there. So what we're wanting to see is is your intervention changing those things? If you're on the key link, then whatever that key link is, you're having the greatest effect on all the audits through the body, right? And that is the game within the game that like, that's where like I, you know, but you hear me tell the story. I'll come in here to our doctor's office and I will bitch like everybody else. But like, I will go right back in that treatment room and I'm wanting to get the patient better, of course, but I'm also almost like enamored and just very curious to where like, if I change something at the key link site, how that affects the whole body, 
And that is what I think just keeps people going throughout their career because you have a, like a whole separate game within a game. And I always say like, you should be exponentially better at the end of the day than when you walked in that same very day. That's how quickly you can be getting better. You know, like, and I mean, I'll also speak for myself here. I mean, I am so much better than I was two years ago. It's insane. I'm so much better than I was four years ago because every day I'm just really kind of paying attention to like what my intervention is and how I'm changing the body and just it almost allows you to tolerate that schedule full of three no betters in a row that is just like, you're just like, damn, what am I even doing? But like, just play the long game. And uh, we always say it's, it's just such an amazing thing about our profession. You'll go to bed some night being like, I'm done. I freaking (laughs) hate this. I'm doing something else. And for some reason you wake up the next day, wanting we want to get your teeth kicked in again. And that's what I love. That's what I love about private practice myself. Well, and we're coming straight from the trenches. I mean, we literally just got done Tuesdays. We only treat half of half a day. And so, yeah. you know, we saw 15 people today or something like that. And we can never do a podcast after, <laughs> a, <laughs> after a full Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. But, you know, like we, that's why we continue to see as many patients as we do. We get questions like that all the time. You're at a seminar, like, oh, Brett probably doesn't see that many patients anymore. Like, no, you're, you're grinding through a hundred oh, people God, in a yeah. week. No problem. And I think, uh, that's why these conversations are, uh, truthful. And, and, you know, we're always going to be honest with you about these situations. And if we're telling you to do something or, or asking you to think a different way, it's because we're asking each other to do the same thing in this building right here. And so, and we have five interns watching us to like, that make sure we're towing the line and not, <laughs> not but taking I think to another yeah. important point would be, um, you know, when we say maintenance care, that doesn't mean we're just like walking in a treatment room, doing a bunch of blind adjustments and walking out, which I think that's another problem with that term is that's what you're kind of thought. No, no, no. We're like, I mean, every case we're taken very, very seriously. And I think too, the other thing, like with Western medicine, wanting to tell their patients, no, slamming the door on their face, you being there to do a really good job of explaining and like educating them. I think the patients they're they are clamoring for what we're doing right now. And uh, we're, we're like in a perfect spot moving forward because like people are really wanting high level treatment and care. And my experience is when you're around somebody who's had a bunch of people work with them, if you're doing a good job, they like they'll 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 pick up on it in a second that you that you know what you're doing just with your handling skills and um, what you feel and your education. I think that's important too. Uh, you, you've mentioned something about uh, when they do come back. Let's say you you have them bought in this on that on this idea of coming back to see you every month or something like that. Like yeah. that's another opportunity to audit the body. Like yeah. you may catch something that you missed that last time. Like shit, I wish I would. How many times I, I do it to myself? Even once or twice a month now. Like I shouldn't have put them out a month. Like this is not this is not good. And I, I have to you know you can maybe backtrack a little bit. Like hey, this actually needs a little bit more work or you know this got a little bit worse than last time. Like we need to change something up. Maybe that's an at home exercise or maybe it's a different range of motion exercise, stuff like that. But it's always another opportunity to audit from what it was even when you saw it a month ago, not just when you saw it yeah. twice a week for a week. Like, oh, for sure. It just continues to go. And again, that's what gets you excited about being here. Let so. me let me ask you a question. And this is a, um, a rhetorical, you know the answer to this, but just like just make you think this way. You see somebody with low back pain and you see them one time and you get done and you basically are like, well, just kind of see how you're doing, right? Six months later, that patient is diagnosed with METS, mm-hmm. okay? How, who is negligent in that case, do you think? Yeah. yeah. Right. So that is why these cases need to be managed really, really well because, as you can imagine, three weeks later, if 
the case is not going the way that we want. Well, what do we do? Of course, your antenna goes up. We need to get imaging. We need to find out like maybe you are in the chronic pain category, which means you're never going to tell me you're better, but actually you're functionally better. Fine. But like, I at least got to know that you're not dying of cancer. Right. And we can't just like go the most aggressive route. We can't just do CT and MRIs on everything. Like right off the bat, we've learned that with the cost and the education off the imaging, how expensive that is and how dangerous that is to the patient. But, uh, so I think that's also where it all the functional models where it's all at for right. every single reason. That's right. Really, yeah, yeah. It's so true. I, I love it. It's a, it's a. Now it's is a, it going to be easy? No. Oh god. Like no, no. Because like <laughs> again, what's hard for a young clinician? One, you know, you don't believe in your own audits, which is hard. Um, and then like then the ability to confront somebody and look them in the eye and say, the reason you're giving me your hard earned money is because like, as it turns out, we're pretty good at changing function on this, you know, and what you're, you can also think of yourself is you are basically, um, the one who's going to decide whether they would need the next orthopedic step. And I think that's a critical point. In at least the United States, our patients are entering the funnel from the wrong direction. Like, why would you start? with the intervention that's only used 1% of the time that doesn't make any sense. So like we're the perfect gatekeepers. We decide like whether or not we need to escalate treatment or not, uh, not escalate treatment, escalate like the next step. Yeah, what do we need epidurals? Do we need surgery? Do we need, you know? So I think that's like, we are in a perfect position to basically also act like a gatekeeper yeah. for that. Beautiful. Good discussion as always. Uh, just stick to function guys. Like it is, it will never let you down and, uh, it's, it makes it way more fun. It makes it way more fun. Yeah. I, so if you're seeing patients tomorrow, I would just go all in on the function for a week and then, uh, let us know. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. telling you, you will be reinvigorated with practice and it'll be fun again. And, uh, I'm excited for, for Beautiful. everybody to be bought in on that. Yeah. Uh, one thing that Again, this is another plug. This is the third one of the episode, but we will talk a shit ton about function first weekend of November at the Neurodynamics World Congress. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is going to be literally the uh, the epitome of that weekend, and uh, we'd love to see you there. As always, guys, keep auditing your patients, uh, buy into function. Uh, good luck with patience. And, uh, yeah. if your treatment isn't changing your audits, then find new treatment. That's how we got to our core four, which is basically all of those are being represented at that, at that seminar, because that is it. So if you're not changing those things then change what you're doing, because that's what, that's what we're looking to change. And we're changing function of our, of our patients. Beautiful. All right, guys, good luck with patience. We'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, if you liked it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, for a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.